Welcome to Sermon Seasonings, the podcast of Christchurch Gladesville, where we look in more depth at the passage that we explored on Sunday. Uh, I'm David Mears. And I'm Mandy Curley. On Sunday, we had the third of our sermons in the series in the book of Proverbs, and we zoomed right in on uh, Proverbs chapter 5 and really thought about the whole issue of adultery and faithfulness. Uh, It was a challenging passage, uh, but we saw very clearly the call uh, to be faithful in the marriage relationship. And Dave, that was a good challenge, I thought, both for those uh, amongst us who are married and those like me who are single. It was a a, a great passage to look at and I I will... I'd started with a confession yesterday. The other confession was I was originally going to try and do five, six and seven and to sort of cover them all and, and... by at some point that I will not name on Saturday, I worked out that ain't going to work. That's overreach and, and and did that, which was part of what I sort of prefaced yesterday, so that uh, to go well, that's what we're going to cover today. So, so what we're going to do today is what we missed yesterday. We're going to do that those important sections in chapter six, and then there's a, another thing that I thought would be good for us to do today, and that is uh, I fielded a number of questions, both yeah. in an email through the week that we'll have a look at and also just in conversations after on how do we listen to what Solomon's teaching is on adultery and womanising and all that sort of stuff in, in chapters 5 to 7 and hear it coming from Solomon of mm. all people. So we're going to tackle what we're going to call the Solomon conundrum, which would be a good Robert Ludlum book or something like that. The Solomon Conundrum. Maybe that's the title of today's podcast Oh, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So that's what we're going to look at. So uh, let's start by having a look at the three, if you're remembering there yesterday, the three yellow bits, the the (laughs) middle part of this um, large sort of section in these three chapters. And uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to uh, read these together and talk through them. Um, I'm talking about chapter 6, verse 1 to chapter 6, verse 19. And uh, so I'll, I'll, there's three sections to it. I'll read a, a section again just with a with a sort of a really literalistic translation of it just as a bit of a variety to listen to. And, um, um, and, and we'll talk about it. Yep, yeah? and I've got the NIV open in front of me. So if I ever find yours uh, too confusing, I may refer to uh, what most of us will have in front of us. Beautiful. So shall we kick it off? Yeah. All right, let's have a look at the first one. So this is chapter 6, verses 1 to 5. My son, if you pledge to your friend, if you thrust your hands to the stranger, if you have been snared with words of your mouth, captured with words of your mouth, do this then, my son, and be delivered, for you have come into the hand of your friend. Go, humble yourself, and act stormily, Do not give sleep to your eyes or slumber to your eyelids. Be delivered like a gazelle from a hand and like a bird from the hand of a fowler. All right, so what are some of your reflections on that? Is, is any any things to note about the yeah, NIV? I mean, that? about the only thing is where you've translated friend, it's neighbour in my translation, but again, that's something that sort of it it's makes sense. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. There's an intimacy of relationship that's going on there. Um, interesting, some of the repetition, um, the English, I think, often gives a bit more flavour and kind of mm. rather than in the same line having a very similar word, mm. um, it'll use a synonym mm. for it to kind of just flesh out the picture a bit more. Mm. Um, 
Um, so, yeah, so for instance, in verse two, you're trapped by what you've said, ensnared by the words of your mouth. Mm. Very similar concept to, to mm. what you've said, but you sort of see the slightly different words that sort of almost expand your picture a bit of what's going on there. And there is a fair bit of that in, in Proverbs poetry anyway. So in the example that we looked at in chapter five, uh, Solomon comes up with pretty much as the whole selection of water source names um, because that's part of the, the poetry actually mm. is, to, is to use all of these different sort of words for it. And so to, um, and when, when you could use the same one twice, mm. and, and that's actually in the original, you, you got snared, um, captured, your friend, your neighbour, all those sorts yeah. of things. Yeah. yeah, and I think this one uh, really stands out to me because you've sort of, you know, it starts off and you sort of get this picture and go, okay, so, you know, you put up security for your neighbour, for your friend. So, you know, you kind of – you go guarantor for them on something. Mm. Um, you know, you've actually made some sort of deal with someone that you don't know. Mm. That's where it kind of – because when you first think, oh, you put up a pledge for your neighbour, that's kind of a – that could be a good and lovely thing to do. But it fairly quickly descends because you see that the words that you've said, the agreeing, oh, yeah, sure, I'll do that actually gets you into a situation where it's not a good situation to be in. You're then taken you're taken captive and the call to for those to avoid folly is to, you know, to work hard to free yourself. And the way they've got to work hard, you get this picture of like this isn't just uh, go and ask them to let you out of the deal that you made. It is go to the point of exhaustion, give your neighbour no rest, like literally bang on the door and bang on the door and bang yeah, on the door yeah, until yeah. they let you in. There is no – there's no room to kind of just let this go and kind of go, oh, well, I made a bad deal. Mm. There is a persistence called for there. Um, like in, in, verse, in verse 3 when it says uh, – I'd be interested to know what it, it has in the, the back end of that in the NIV, but in the, I've got it as go humble yourself and act stormily. Now, act mm. stormily is, is – so sort of the original thing then is being obviously used metaphorically. So what does what the English have um, for that? So it's go to the point of exhaustion and give your neighbour no rest. Right. And so, so it's the no rest idea oh, because no rest, in, the, okay. yeah. in the, the stormily, because it was, it made me, I've done a little bit of camping the past <laughs> year and the whole when there's a storm, what you get is no rest. That whole, because it's constant, it's consistent and it keeps you awake. So the, the, the picture I had as I was um, looking at that was, that again, there's what's the poetry doing? There often there's an amplifying thing mm. going on. There's one at the beginning that I'll mention in a second. But but humbling yourself and act stormily is you might sort of go. Oh, they're sort of different. But one is just basically fall at his feet, and if necessary, have a tantrum about it. <laughs> yeah, that that's kind of what he's saying. He, he's you know an English phrase you might say a big borrow steal and I'll do whatever you can do yep. to get it. Well, this is you know go go humble yourself so fall on your feet before him. Um, go I want to you know, <laughs> just really make a big deal of it. The other thing is is um is verse one. Mm. My son, if you pledge to your friend or your neighbour, if you thrust your hands to the stranger. So remember our last week we were talking about how in in Hebrew parallelism the second line is going to add somehow or enhance. The, the, the image or add to the mm. image in the first one. And so it, these are kind of it's – a, it's a progression and then that progression builds a bit of an image as to what's going on here. So you're making a pledge to your friend. And as you said before, you might go, oh, that, that sounds reasonable, right? Yeah. You, you, you a go guarantor for a friend. If you thrust your hands to the stranger. Now what that does is adds 
adds a bit of a picture as to what's really going on, mm. which you might do with a friend or a neighbour. They, they say, hey, I've got this idea and, and you could fund it because you're the son of a king or whatever. Mm. If you thrust your hands to the stranger, that's more like, hey, mate, I've got this deal, o- deal. O- over there. You, you've got means you could get some quick dollars out of this. Mm. Um, there's What the second line does is add a degree of rashness to it, mm. right? Yeah. So making a pledge with a friend, boring. Thrusting your hands to the stranger. Oh, okay, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the hasty hasty decision, financial decision, that potentially you've been drawn in by the first sales pitch. Mm. And and the story that we see happening after that is um, a recognition, oh, you know, it's like you, you do the deal and you walk away going, oh, that's exciting. And, and I don't know if you've ever done this before where you've, you've, you've agreed to, you, you've, Someone knocked at the door trying to sell you electricity yeah, or, or say, phone. I, I was thinking of that set of encyclopedias. <laughs> oh, yeah, this encyclopedia. <laughs> we go, oh, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. They walk away, you walk back inside and you go, uh, you know, um, <laughs> is my mum or dad going to be happy that I just spent this money or whatever? And you start to have second thoughts. I mm. think that's, that's yep. the picture we're getting here. Yeah, which – and I think the interesting thing about that is because one of the things that first comes to my mind when I s- start thinking about, you know, well, you've you've given your word on something, my instinctive reaction is, well, you've given your word, so you follow through. Mm. And, Which and you'd is have a, reasonable. Yeah, yeah, is a right and appropriate response mm. in one. But what this picture is getting is the whole, if you've given your word and then actually worked out, hang on a second, this is... This leads to not just a bad situation. The language that's used here is language like trapped, ensnared. Mm. Um, there's you've got to free, deliverance language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to free yourself from the hunter, um, mm. like a bird from the snare of the fowler. Mm. This is real danger kind of language that that encapsulates the situation that you're in. So it seems to be giving a picture that you've been kind of caught. You've been – someone sucked you in on a deal. Um, and I think there's an interesting ethical thing that it raises because, a, as you mentioned, if you make a pledge, you go, well, let your yes be yes, yes and, and your no, no. And, and, and so that is your normal operating um, propriety and uh, it's the right thing to do. You said you'd do it, so do it. Um, whereas this is saying you have made an irrational pledge. You have done made a pledge that is potentially going to jeopardise – you, your, your safety, rule, security. perhaps, your family, whatever mm. else like that, your security. It knows it doesn't just say, hey, don't do it. Mm. It says you, you, your director, he says, go to the person because you have you have put yourself into their hands. Mm. That's part of the agreement side of it. You've put yourself into their hands. And so it's not just as him, oh, I've got to go with it. You go, no, you've got to try You've got to mm. ask them to get out of it and you do whatever you've got to do and bang on mm. about it until they do. Otherwise, your foolish words have caught you. Yeah. So, so remember how um, I was talking yesterday about how the three on the, 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 I guess the sexual immorality, the adultery ones on the outside are who not to be with, mm. and the ones in the middle are who not to be. Yep. And so this is saying don't be, don't be the rash person who is drawn in to the great deal, um, because you'll trap yourself. And if you get caught in that situation, you better do whatever you can. Do not let yourself be ensnared in a business deal. It's yep. kind of the idea. Yeah, there. and and there's a real hurry. Yes, there's to, a haste Correct. to the way that you like. So you've got to do this quickly and and try and make it right as soon as possible. That's right. So so yeah, that's a, that's helpful. Now, as you don't sort of go, uh, I'll see how it pans out and then try and get out of it later. 
if you, if you go inside and you go, that was dumb, you use the, the 30 days. Um, yep, money back guarantee. Money back guarantee, right? <laughs> but, but do whatever you got to do to get out of it. So that, that's, that's the first one. Yep. So um, uh, let's have a look at the second one. It's verses 6 to 11. Let me read that. Go to the ant, sluggard, see her ways and learn of whom there is not for her a chief, foreman or ruler. She prepares in the summer her bread. She gathers in the harvest her food. Until when, sluggard, will you lie down? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little clasping of hands to lie down, and your poverty will come like one wandering in, and your need like an armed man. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's actually beautiful the way that you've translated it there, and you get that really clear picture of the contrast there between sort of the ant, the ant and the sluggard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the ant is one that it doesn't have someone who's in authority telling her what to do. Uh, she looks out and sees this is what I need to do. So she's out there. She's you know storing provisions in summer, gathering food at harvest. She's she's quite busy in mm. lots of ways uh, doing that. Mm. Whereas on the other hand, sort of the the sluggard is the one who is kind of you know rolling around in bed in absolutely no hurry to get up and do anything. And I love the way that verse uh, 10 builds that because each thing on its own is it's, just so small. It's a little thing. Yeah. It seems really insignificant, you know, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. But the picture that that builds is that actually a little bit of each of those things results in someone who is literally horizontal and unable to do things and so what comes well the poverty comes on you like a thief Mm. now thieves come when you don't expect them Mm. and so you know you you're so kind of relaxed about everything that's going on that all of a sudden everything you have is gone um and that picture of you know scarcity like an armed man it's like you know that's it you've you've left yourself vulnerable by your lack of action yeah that's why i like the, the parallel between the thief as the niv translates it of that idea of one wandering in. Mm. And so it's kind of the, the idea is you, you're, you're so uh, not on the ball, you're so clocked off that you've lay down in your house in and such that the, no one's watching anymore. And it, like someone wanders in and goes, mm, I might take that, right? And and then all you'll need like an armed man, which mm. again, we see that parallelism. Escalating. The escalation between the first and the second. Mm. One is is a is a casual thief wandering around who looks for an opportunity and grabs it. And then the next one is is a nastier, even more dangerous mm. thing, a more threatening mm. thing. And, yeah. the, and the first one, I mean, even just that idea of the, the ant, the ant is, is, the, is tiny, Mm. Um, and yet, and has got no one who's some big expert waiting for them to, oh, come on, Queen Ant, when are you going to tell me what I'm meant to do? I can't do anything. No, the ant just gets on mm. with it because the ant needs to eat and the ant will, will work. And and so you've got the wisdom is saying, if you're, you, you lazy person, just have a look at that and they end up getting what they need. What are you going to do? You keep doing what you do, you're going to be starving. Yep. And, uh, and so what does it make you think of in terms of, say, take that into... Three thousand years later, um, where, where's what's how's that wise for us in some ways? Yeah, I mean, in so many ways, there is that picture of you know, 
how can we actually be the proactive self-starter? So do I need to wait for someone to tell me that something needs doing or am I the kind of person that can actually look around and go, oh, I could do that. Like, Mm. oh, that needs to be done. So there's sort of – there's that sense in terms of the being proactive rather than just reactive. Mm. Um, But even then the sort of the contrast of the the sluggard that's sort of not doing anything, I just – it does make me think of like where are the times where we just put it off and we put it off and we put it off. Procrastination, isn't it? (laughs) And the thing is is that you see the way that it builds because Mm. the more you put it off, the harder it is to do the thing that needs to be done anyway. Like I Mm. think about it, you know, there's all sorts of things that it happens in, you know, exercise is the classic one. Mm. The more you put it off, the harder it is Mm. and you're just like, just get over it and get out of bed and go. Yeah, it, it could sort of be be like as well, like a a, a job or something mm. like that, where you you I sort of picture perhaps a somebody who's just finished school, and they've had that long holiday, or they've just finished university, and they're, they're going to get around to applying for jobs, and but then there's all this sort of fun stuff to do, this stuff that's just easier and is a bit more just what I just feel like doing, mm. and I'll I'll send that in later you know, deadlines for assignments, all those sorts of things where you just, just put it off and sooner or later that, that crunch time will come and that crunch where you, you can't get it done. You don't get a good enough mark. You fail it. You you don't get the job because you never applied for it. All of those sorts of things and you really suffer for it. But uh, it, it's on that you, it is important for you to do for your for your life mm. and you just, you're, 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 you're lazy and you keep, that's being slovenly. Mm. And you think that can happen spiritually too, can't yeah, it? I was, yeah, I was actually, as you were thinking that, thinking kind of as we apply it to our spiritual disciplines too, the whole, you know, it can be very easy to say the whole, oh, well, you know, I know it's important to read my, read the Bible and I want to do that and I want to be a woman of God's word. Mm. But it, you know, doesn't happen to happen first thing in the morning and then it doesn't happen a little bit later and then it doesn't happen a little bit later and before long you can go, oh, well, I didn't do it today, I'll do it tomorrow. Mm. And then tomorrow it's like I didn't get there and before you know it, it's towards the end of the week and you're like, oh, well, I didn't have a very good week this week, I'll start again next week. You're just like, no, that's mm. n- that's not the call of the Christian people that we're called to be and it's not to then kind of get that all inverted and go, oh, this is what makes you mm. Um, mm. a child of God. But as a child of God, like let's hunger after his word. Let's hunger yeah, man after. Man shall not live by bread alone but on every word that comes from Come, the Father. Yeah. And, and that, that, but that idea of I think what it captures here is that uh, when laziness, procrastination is, is, a, the, the, is wrapped up in this, gets in the way of what is, is just you know what you need to do, which is what the ant's doing. The ant's mm. got a brain the size of a pin. Um, and knows what it needs to do. It's got no expert commanding it, knows what it needs to do. You, you do that and you go, mm, I'll just lie down because you would rather have your leisure than those things that are important you won't get. The disaster that comes from not getting what you need comes on you. And mm. that can happen spiritually and it can happen in, in real life as well. So there's a there's a look to industriousness and Get on with it and don't be don't be lazy. So um, and the poetry is good. I love it. Um. go to the ants. Good. <laughs> okay, let's have a look at yeah. the third one. Now, third one goes from um, six verse twelve to six nineteen. And you know we've talked a bit about the rule of three before. This one's a bit bigger. It's got two sections to mm. it, and um, and it's a little bit. You know, oh, you made a hasty pledge. Well, that's quite specific, isn't it? Oh, yeah. you're, you're a bit lazy and you you don't you don't get off your backside. 
Um, and then you get this one, which is a little bit more serious. So let me read from verse 12 to 19. A man of worthlessness, a man of iniquity, is one walking with crookedness of mouth, winking with his eyes, signalling with his feet, pointing out with his fingers. Perversity is in his heart, always devising evil. He sends strife. For this reason, suddenly his calamity will come. He will be broken suddenly and there is no healing. Six are they that Yahweh hates, and seven are abominations of his soul. Eyes exulting, tongues that lie, and hands pouring out innocent blood. Hearts planning evil schemes. Feet hastening to run to what is evil. A false witness testifying lies, and one who sends discord between brothers. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, yeah, this is this is interesting. It's it, you, you can see how you've got the images at the beginning and at the end that sort of parallel each other. Yeah. You, you've and and often it's I think we were talking about metonymy, the idea of, of pairings of things that capture the whole. Yep. Well, this is a, like an extended one: you know, mm-hmm. eyes, feet, fingers, heart, you know, uh, um, mouth in from twelve and fourteen, and then yep. um, similarly, you've got your eyes, eyes your tongue, tongue hands, yep. heart, feet. Yes. So now the interesting thing is there is a sort of parallel bit because you've got in verses 13 and 14, so the central bit is verses 15 and 16. Then you've got in between 13 and 14 and 17 and 18, which is is all of the body imagery. And then on the outside you've got at verse 12, a man of worthlessness, a man of iniquity is one walking with crookedness of mouth. And verse 19, a false witness testifying lies and one who sends discord between brothers. Mm -hmm. And then you've got those body images in between. And... And so who what are we sort of picturing there do you think Yeah I mean it's interesting. I love the way again uh, the NIV it talks about the person as a troublemaker and a villain which yeah, totally villain. Yeah it's kind of <laughs> scoundrel Yes I you know <laughs> just trying to get the Disney imagery out of my head's head but you do kind of get this picture of um, this is someone who's the first image particularly is someone who's a little bit sneaky. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're deliberately um, acting in such a way that means that you can't trust what they say. Mm. You know, the I love the it's corrupt mouth here. You talked about crooked mouth and mm. I think that mm. just mm. that beautiful thing of, you know, what is it that's going to come out of there? Um, mm. You know, the malicious wink, the signal with his feet, like it does make you kind of think of the what's going on there. It's like he's saying one thing with his mouth, mm. but his body is actually betraying that mm. there's something else that he's actually trying to say without saying it in words. I can kind of picture like if you've got a conversation with three or four people and then there's this the conversation, as you say, you're going on, going on with your eyes and this person is kind of trying to catch the attention of the other person by sort of making a gesture with his feet <laughs> to sort of go, what about this? So that is, it's, there's the surface, um, the, uh, a, a deceitfulness about mm. what is apparent and what you're really trying to think of behind the scenes. Yeah, and and the kind of the internal what's going on, like that verse 14, mm. like plots evil with deceit in his heart, he always stirs up conflict. Yes. 
Yeah. This is not the kind of person you want to be. No, no. Because <laughs> remember, the, these are the three things: who not to be. You know, don't don't be the person who is hasty with your pledge and and rash because you see some sort of cash registers and can yep. get duped and you're gullible. Second one is don't be the person who is who is lazy and a sluggard. And then third one, don't don't be like and well, certainly you don't get caught up with, but. But it's a it's a portrait of a person who is is an undesirable type of person and saying that's why wouldn't you be this person? Well, for this reason, suddenly his calamity will come. He'll be broken suddenly. There is no healing because six are they that Yahweh hates and seven are abominations of his soul. You know, it's just that idea of feeling Lord because he's <laughs> he remembering in everything who my God is, is. Um, that. All of this stuff is the secret conspiracy trying to get your scheme that while out people, you're making signals with your feet mm. while you're saying something different, all of those sorts of things. Your, your, your words are crooked, i.e. you're trying to you, – you want to be you're, – you're presenting as if something is true but your words have double meanings mm. to them. Yep. Um, there's another – there's a nice little bit of poetry in this as well that may – is, may or may not be as obvious in the English, is that there's these two sevens in there. Mm. So you think about um, uh, a man of worthless, a man of iniquity is, one walking with crookedness of mouth, that's one, winking with his eyes, two, signalling with his feet, three, pointing out with his fingers, four, perversity in his heart, five, always devising evil, six, he sends strife, seven. Right? Mm. And then you've got verse six, 16, six are they that the Yahweh hates, seven are the abominations of his soul, intensification. Yep. Um, one, eyes exalting. Two, tongues that lie. Three, hands pouring out innocent blood. Four, hearts planning evil schemes. Five, feet hastening to run to what is evil. Six, a false witness testifying lies. And seven, one who sends discord between brothers. Yep. So you've got these parallel sevens and in the middle you've got God saying there are seven abominations for his soul. God's yep. going, I hate this. Yep. <laughs> and then I guess thinking even about the, the way the poetry works and the intensity, it's not saying here, oh, well, the first six ones are just hateful and the yeah, seventh yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, is detestable. That's a picture together of the the as it comes in. It's sort of like you know these are hateful, and you know you put it all together. This is detestable. Mm, that's yeah. the intensification that's going on there. Yeah. Just in case, although it's interesting that one of the things that kind of particularly in the last one, the it's the person who stirs up conflict in the community. Yeah. There's something about the all of these things are things that damage others. Um, particularly, yeah, you know, right. when you think lying tongue, hands mm. that shed innocent blood, mm. the wicked schemes rush into evil. But there is something about, you know, there is something that is just wrong, oh, wrong yeah. about a person who what they're doing is they're trying to stir up controversy and conflict amongst a group yeah, of there's people. There's a, a perversity to it. Mm. And it's interesting that um, a man of worthlessness, uh, that, that word – um, it's it's you know it's Belial, <laughs> right? So uh, a man of Belial, and and so uh, you know there's a that's a, a name sometimes used of the evil one Belial mm. kind of thing, uh, worthlessness, and and also it is um, if memory serves me correctly, it is for instance how Eli's sons ah. were, were described back yep. in in the beginning of one Samuel, and it never is a light thing. It is it just says there there is an emptiness and a self there's a remember what Eli's sons mm. did they would corrupt the work at the temple they would people would bring offerings and say well you're going to give it to us how we want yep or you're in trouble we'll beat yes. you up yeah yeah you know? I'm not eating boiled meat because I'm going to grill it and make sure that it's tasty and I don't care if God hates it and yep. I don't care if it's against the law what are you going to do about it it's it's this um dissipated person mm. so those are the middle three um 
three people not to be. Um, and so there, there's a, a, a naive gullibility and if you're caught in that situation, do whatever you can, get out of Don't be someone who gets trapped. Have discernment. Um, don't be lazy. Actually look to the way wor- the world works and get up off your bed and and do what you need to yeah. do. Be a responsible adult. Mm. <laughs> it's kind yep. of what he's saying to his son. And then the third one is because this kind of person that is described in 12 to 19 turns up in chapter 1, mm. in the second half of chapter 1, straight after being told, listen to my, this is what benefit of wisdom is, then says, There's, don't listen to the ones that are going to sit there and say, hey, we've got this plan over here, we're going to, well, yep. that, that person turns up again. And it's interesting that this sort of person, the person in that third section, is somebody who turns up again and again in this prologue, that type of person, along with the adulteress. Yeah. So the adulteress turns up in chapter two as well, and so they 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 turn up a bit through the, the male danger, bad mates that you don't want to hang around, and um, uh, uh, corrupting women. Don't hang out with them. Yeah. Yep. So there we go. There, there's our our middle bits. So we've looked then at chapter six and sort of walked through how to think about that. Now in this second half of the podcast, we're going to turn to some questions that were asked. Um, the first question is a more general one, so we might start with that. Um, and so it says, the wayward woman or the adulteress in Proverbs at times seems to be a personification of folly as opposed to lady wisdoms and at other times seems to be a literal woman warning against adultery. Is one more on view than the other at times or are both being warned against simultaneously? Okay, so it's a great question. It is. Um, it, it is, uh, leans into the next two weeks because we'll particularly as we look at chapters 8 and 9 together, we're going to deal with Lady Wisdom and mm-hmm. we're going to deal with the call of, of folly as well. But I guess if, if the, the heart of the question is really saying which, which came first or are they interchangeable, I guess, well, I think the, um, the, the image of of the adulteress as Lady Folly comes, it, it's the adulteress sort of comes first as the as the specific person to avoid for these reasons, as we looked at on Sunday. Yep. Um, and Folly itself kind of does the same operation. So mm-hmm. basically the, the personification of Folly is drawing upon what's been established as we've worked out the character of the adulteress and the corruptive nature of the adulteress, mm. the, the, the honeyed words, the smooth speech, but that leads you astray, well, in the, con- in, the, in the context of chapters 5 to 7, it's absolutely concretely talking about actually somebody who's trying to lead you astray. It's not a personification of folly there, but it is a high example of how listening to the wrong thing can lead you into doing foolish things. Yep. Um, so the personification that you get in chapter 9 of of lady folly mm. is is has a seductive aspect so sometimes yeah. i think i think it's capturing that idea that foolishness is attractive mm. and you kind of go back to the garden of eden don't you and you go it, that the fruit was attractive for gaining wisdom and all of those sorts of things and it looked mm. nice and and so there is something about sin that is uh, alluring that mm. needs to be warned about so I think the answer is it's not there. They're not interchangeable. Chapters five seven is talking about the adulteress, mm. but that's the image that gets drawn upon to say, you know, folly's kind of like that. Yep, folly kind of works like someone trying to seduce you, and, yep. and that's the way that works. Yep. But we've got a bunch of other questions, yeah. and these relate, as I 
flagged in the introduction to the Solomon Conundrum. I feel like I need to have another sound effect. We Um, probably have one, but I don't... I'm going to press a random one, see what it does. Oh, yes! (laughs) Let's do that again. (laughs) The The Solomon Solomon Conundrum. conundrum. (laughs) Oh, we're having fun. Okay, that was seriously a random push. Okay, so the question is, the Solomon Conundrum is this. Um, it's hearing the, the wisdom of Solomon. You go, oh, that's great. And then you hear about Solomon say, hey, watch out for women. And you're going, sorry, <laughs> hang on. If you've read your Bible, you're going, Solomon, telling mm. somebody else. It feels a little bit like the pot calling, calling the, the kettle black. black. It does, it does. So let's give a little bit of background to why that's the pot calling the kettle black. Do you want to read to us a little bit from 1 Kings 11? Yeah. So the other bit we're going to look at is Nehemiah 13. I'll, I'll read Nehemiah 13, this, and, and it says this. Uh, Was it not because of marriages like these, marriages to foreign women, that Solomon, king of Israel, sinned? Among the many nations there was no king like him. He was loved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. But even he was led into sin by foreign women. Must we now hear that you too are doing all these this terrible wickedness and are being unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women? So by the time Nehemiah gets around post the exile, he's going, everyone knows that, that, that Solomon, even Solomon got messed up by this, right? Yep. Um, and what are the bits we get in chapter eleven? These yep. chapter chapter three to ten is the is the hey this is Solomon and this is all he did that was good. Now we get to chapter eleven. Yes. So King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women beside Pharaoh's daughter: Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, "You must not intermarry with them, because they will surely turn your hearts after other gods." Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Asherah, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites, So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely, as David his father had done. And then if we go to the end of chapter 11, we get um, basically what he says after that is all the things that God brought about to, in a sense, punish Solomon um, Mm. for the things, for for what he'd done and the the direction his life had taken. Um, But then Solomon dies and we get the conclusion on his reign. Do you want to read that for us? So as for the other events of Solomon's reign... All he did and all the wisdom he displayed, are they not written in the book of the annals of Solomon? Solomon reigned in Jerusalem all over all Israel 40 years. Then he rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David, his father. And Rehoboam, his son, succeeded him as king. Okay, so it's after all of that indictment of mm. the evil he did in the eyes of the Lord. Did you see how that sort of conclusion was? It... it even having said all that, said including all the wisdom he displayed. Yeah. So it it wasn't it couldn't be denied even the conclusion after he talked about the evil he'd done that he had displayed amazing wisdom mm. and yet you've got this clash and so so a couple of questions come out from that. Will there were a couple on the same email that asked about the wayward woman that we'll look at in a second, but but one of the the things that's come up is well could it be that 
what we read in chapters 1 to 9 is early Solomon, right? So so Solomon wrote that when he was younger before he became because it was a 40-year reign, right? That, yeah. That's a fair whack. And so it's like oh, perhaps, you know, in the first five to ten years, he's, he prays that prayer for wisdom right at the beginning and then maybe he gets his act together and, and, and falls astray later on. Well, let, let's, let's work that through. Yeah. So um, I'll, I'll flag by saying I don't think that that works. It, yeah. it could work and I'll say why, but I don't think it works, all right? First of all, he was about 20 to 22 when he becomes king. He wasn't a 12-year-old. Yeah. I mean, he, before he prays his prayer for wisdom, he's already married um, and and so he's a, let's just say he was a young man, 20 to 22, when he becomes king. Um, in chapters 5 to 7, or actually in all of the prologue, he's talking to his son, and in chapter 5 he's talking about, you know, rejoicing the wife of your youth. Mm. So his son's married. Um, and so uh, that means that let's just say, let's say the son got married, he was still a young man himself. Well, we're starting to talk about Solomon being 40 or so. So that still gives him another... 20 years to reign, but he's been reigning for 18 to 20 years. Uh, we're told that he had a huge harem, 700 wives and 300 concubines. Now, unless he really started becoming an avid collector as a mid-age crisis or something, it's fair to assume that some of those, those – oh, now, most of them were for political means, yeah. um, but it's undeniable they also lured his heart. Mm. So he kind of uh, – he wasn't – he wasn't – opposed to the idea of having lots of yeah. women at his disposal. And so and they led his heart astray. So they weren't just um, a collection of, of alliances. And um and so what you've got is is he would have had to have really left a lot till later on if we're just saying he yeah. picked up because I mean if even seven hundred wives, three hundred thousand people mm. you uh, think that's gonna Take a few years to collect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. Um, and so uh, the only other possible, so it's not likely that he wrote chapters five to seven without having a healthy collection of wives and concubines by that stage. Yeah. So unless here's the exception is unless if it was young Solomon's young Solomon, you know, he's got a three year old, and three year old Rehoboam's there, and he's you know, and he's going, you know, what, I'm going to write a letter to my son to help him learn wisdom as I'm learning and enjoying since I've prayed for wisdom and God has given me so much of it. I'm going to write these words of wisdom to my son for when he's older. Now, that's entirely speculative. It's not out of the realms of possibility. People do that sort of thing all the time. and so, But you have to read that sort of scenario into it if you're going to say, oh, this is early summer. So it probably doesn't work. So, and even if it does work, does it not still raise the question of, well, so he might have been living what we would say is the upright life at that time when he wrote these words, so we're going to trust his wisdom. But isn't there still the question of, well, if he didn't go on to live a life that we would say was a life of wisdom, doesn't it still possibly make people question well why should we deal like why should we trust these words because if he was so wise at that time that he could write these amazing words and then didn't continue in wisdom surely there's a question about Mm. whether so whether it's early or late the live question still is how do Mm. we actually how should we think about this given Given who wrote it who wrote it yeah so i'll we'll Address that, and there's a couple of questions that we'll bring out that are very related to that. But but I think the first thing I'd want to say is just to be aware that chapters 5 to 7 actually are not incompatible 
with someone with 700 wives and 300 concubines. Now, what, what I mean by that is chapters 5 to 7, or well, really 5, second, back half of 6 and chapter 7, are talking about um, being seduced by another man's wife. Solomon could have 700 wives and 300 concubines and still go, yeah, but I'm not going to go sleeping with another man's wife. Why would I? Because I've got because 700 of my got, own. Yep. <laughs> I don't need to grab anyone else's. But 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 as well as a as a wise ruler, remember the scene with him and the two prostitutes who who had the child and one smothered his child. Mm. He 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 can he reads people. He can see what happens and that's the kind of guy that looks at the, the city operating around him, he looks out of his palace windows and, and and sees this young fool walking up the street and he can see the woman up the other end of the street seducing him. He goes, I know where this is going to play out. Yep. Probably because he's had to deal with it in half of his judgments. There's <laughs> somebody, some really cranky husband who's gone and, and murdered a guy because he, you know, a young man who was sleeping with his wife and yep. things like that. So he he's still able to go, yeah, that's the dumb thing to do. So in other words, what he's doing there, what what's Solomon in his life? There's no doubt it's immorality. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bible's explicit teaching on him, he was disobeying the word of God, which was the big thing. Because yep. really, having huge harems, there was an Egyptian, there's a text of an Egyptian guy who had 3,000 in his so so it was not like that was foreign to that era but it sounds a bit more Saul like than David like doesn't yep. it a king like the nations around him who shows off his splendor by how many um, women he's got in his harem uh, and the fact that they were all women and lu- uh, uh, foreign women who lured his heart after foreign gods that's the judgment on Solomon Solomon it's apostasy it's yep. it's disobedience to the word of God and letting your heart being lured, lured away from him. And sex was in the middle of that for him, but not the same as going off and committing adultery yeah. with somebody else's wife. So uh, it's no justification, but they're saying they are actually different things. Yeah. So, so he he could actually you could have a Solomon who has hundreds of wives still going. Yeah, don't go sleep with someone else's. Mm. Yeah, that, that yeah, and that makes that. and I think that's you lent into that on Sunday where mm-hmm. you were talking that this that the passage before us is actually focused much more in, it's focused on the issue of adultery yes. rather than the, sexual the more general, general. Yes. concept of sexual immorality. Yes, yeah, um, that's right. And so that is that what makes it easier to hear from someone like Solomon about adultery rather than sexual immorality? It probably isn't easier. Yeah. yeah. It, like <laughs> it, it, doesn't, it doesn't take away the Solomon conundrum. <laughs> Anyway, okay, so it doesn't take that away because the issue is how do I read scripture um, and say this is something that I'm to hold deeply to my heart when I think this this guy abandoned mm. wisdom. That's the, you have to say that's the conclusion at the end of it. So um, and so you, you've made this point. Um, the 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 question got asked on an email to add to it. I'll just I'll read for you. In what way did God answer Solomon's prayer? There's a lot about faithfulness, adultery, cherishing, and being faithful. But there's a clear warning in the conclusion in chapter 31, verse 3, do not spend your strength on women, your vigour on those who ruin kings. And the person asked, I keep wondering to what extent Solomon's prayer was answered given his track record with wives and concubines. And you've got a follow-up that says, well, as I read Proverbs, there's a deep irony when I read verses like chapter 31, verse verse 3 that I just read. Um, how should that affect the way that we read and apply Proverbs? Is Israel's wise, if Israel's wisest king, apart from Jesus, messed up so badly, 
does that affect the way we view the wisdom he passes on? Mm. So it's it's a very it's a live question, and probably the liveness of it is provoked most when you come to the, the to the women and sex stuff because that was Solomon's Achilles heel. So yep. first of all, let's talk about wisdom in general. How can you call Solomon wise? Wisdom doesn't just cover um, being morally perfect or or even just being morally upright. Um, wisdom covers the ability to play music. Wisdom is the skill of a of a um, of a stonemason. Wisdom is the one who understands the words of the wise. Wisdom covers a whole lot of territory. Wisdom is the ability to hold a kingdom together. And remember, how did Solomon start with his prayer? His prayer was that God would give him the discernment to be able to rule such a great nation such as this. Mm-hmm. That he, It was because he felt ill-equipped for the job of running a country. And that needs wisdom to be able to run a country and not drive it into the ground. And as we heard from 1 Kings 11, even after all he did, the verdict was, yeah, okay, evil, but you couldn't deny that he was wise. Yep. So in other words, there was a, there was, he knew how to run a country. He knew how to get allies. He knew how to um, uh, have vassal states give him um, uh, and to, to make, to enrich the state and, um, and look, oversee the, 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 the well-being of his people and keep them safe from enemies and stuff. Um, it's interesting that once he really started to lean astray, which I think 1 Kings 11 implies that um, it, was, it wasn't it was early. Like he, yeah. he probably did start well and he did decline in the yeah. later stages and that's why in the later stages God started to bring about enemies that, that were um, would, would mess with that security that he'd given him. But for the bulk of his time he ruled well. So we've got to just let that sit. Um, and he 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 was a, a wise ruler, and so uh, there's a lot to be said for listening to what he has to say. Others recognise the wisdom of it and would come from far and wide to do so. Um, however, knowing wisdom and then keeping hold of it for the rest of your life are two different things. Yeah. Um. In, interesting. Looking at various points, you go. At some point, Solomon's got to listen to his own wisdom. He can have wisdom to impart, but if eventually he doesn't maintain discernment, mm. remember we looked at that phrase yep. from chapter 5, who, who maintains discernment. Well, he didn't maintain his discernment. He, he, he kept it for a while and then it let it slip because he got he fell for the very things that he foresaw or could see happening in the world around oh. him. Yep. They're, pr- they're not... They're proven true by the fact that he fell into them yeah. um, afterwards, that the wisdom that they contained was right. And the reason is, is because it wasn't his wisdom. Um, it was the wisdom that God had given him. So what we have in the book of Proverbs is God's wisdom. It is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And and it is not its wisdom does not depend on which time slice of Solomon's life he said it did he say it during his wise phase or did he say it during his foolish phase it's also a collection of wisdom so that whilst the first two-thirds of the book are, are, are Solomon's own proverbs there's there's proverbs that Hezekiah collected that Solomon had, had yet said there's the wisdom of a guy called Amur, is it Amur? Amur and, um, and Le- Lemuel. Lemuel. Lemuel yeah yeah um, which then takes us to chapter 31, verse 3, which was quoted to us, do not spend your strength on women, your vigour on those who ruin kings. That's part of the wisdom of Lemuel that he got from his mother. Yep. Lemuel was not an Israelite. In other words, this is part of a collection that when 
the book of Proverbs is finally compiled, perhaps post-exile in the in the Persian sort of time, um, when it got into it's it's almost a conspicuous commentary on Solomon. Your vigor on those who ruin kings, because I think the hindsight said it ruined Solomon. Yep. Solomon got ruined by this very thing. And the end product of the book of Proverbs is even a comment on Solomon has yeah. gone in there. Yeah, and so there is almost a bit of an irony to that being in the collection of, it is. of Solomon's writing. And I think, am I going too far to say this, but in some ways the, the pattern of Solomon stands out for his folly in this respect, mm. but the way that so many of the Israelite leaders – have glimmers of the spectacular yeah. but huge failings mm. the whole way is actually the pattern that we expect until Jesus comes. Absolutely. So we see it right back from the beginning, like, you know, Abram, Abraham, you know, there's, mm. there's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah. there's high highs and low lows. It's the same with Moses. It's the same with David. It's the same with Solomon. The same story- with Hezekiah. You know, same with Josiah. Yep. It continues on and on until Jesus because Jesus is the wisdom of God yes. and he is the true Israelite, the one who the the one and the only one who actually lives the perfect life in perfect wisdom every single moment of every single day. And so the whole we can actually read the scriptures wrongly if we kind of put some of those Old Testament characters up on too high a pedestal. Mm, mm. Um, and so there's a rightness to kind of going the whole, we should expect them to fail because while they are chosen by God and used by him, they are mere humans mm. that are actually impacted by the sin of the world and their own sin. And, you know, the same thing works in the New Testament. Paul was not perfect. Mm. Jesus was, um, is, Paul wasn't. Yep. And so whilst... What Paul writes in the scriptures is um, God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, as long uh, along with what Solomon wrote, mm. because God is the one who's through the prophet, which in this case you would say Solomon is acting as, um, through Solomon, in answer to his prayer, God gave him the wisdom that he has then given to us in the book of Proverbs. Um, he, um, Paul himself, uh, Whilst what we read in the in the epistles is the word of God and is perfect and right in every way, doesn't mean that Paul was right and perfect mm. in any way. And I'm sure if we got a snapshot of the wrong time in Paul's life and then read something that he wrote later, go, "Hey, Paul, you say this, but look what you just did," because that's humanity apart from Jesus. And we're going to see that a little bit in the next in the in the coming couple of weeks. But um, but there we got. So I think I think that the the takeaway is. Everything Solomon's wisdom here is wisdom. Mm. It just is. It's it's right, um, and and it even its rightness can even be demonstrated for when Solomon let go of the very wisdom that he knew and taught. The foolishness of letting go reinforces the truth of the wisdom that he taught. <laughs> so, so so I think that's the way we we read it. But it will continue to confront us as we look at things together. So there we go. There's the Solomon conundrum. <laughs> And um, chapter six. So um, I've been Dave. Uh, And I've been Mandy. Uh, Join us again at church next week where we continue our series in uh, the book of Proverbs. We'll be focusing in on Proverbs chapter eight and thinking about wisdom's call.